So let us do that. Let's turn to John chapter 15 as we continue uh, to work through the gospel of John uh, that Pastor Jeremy has been uh, leading us on. Uh, We're going to be looking at primarily verses uh, 9 to 17, uh, which you'll find on page 1069 uh, in your pew Bible. Uh, Looking at verses 9 to uh, on chapter 15. Now, if you're visiting with us, uh, we've been working through the Gospel of John, and we're at that point uh, in the Gospel where in the story we are just hours away uh, from the arrest of Jesus. His crucifixion, uh, his death, his resurrection, they're at the threshold uh, in terms of the narrative. And really, ever since about John chapter 13, Jesus has been spending these last moments uh, talking to his disciples, uh, teaching them some last things. He's been encouraging them. He's been predicting you know, that they will disperse, that, that Peter will deny him three times. He's been talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and he's been teaching them the, the good that is about to happen. And with chapter 15, he has shifted uh, his focus a bit to begin discussing the nature of the relationship that Jesus has with the disciples. He's, he's turned attention once again to what the relationship is like that they have. And as we, we heard last week from Jeremy, uh, that Jesus uses a metaphor to describe this relationship of, of God as the gardener and, and Jesus as the vine and, and the disciples, those who believe in him as the branches. And how you know, Jesus as the vine, you know, his life, you know, it, his vitality just goes out to the branches. And, and the branches, if they abide in the vine, if they remain in the vine, they, they bear fruit by that relationship. So he was using this, this metaphor to describe it. And, and when, we, when we read, I want us to actually begin reading here with verse 1 so that we can, we can hear the, the, the thrust of this teaching as we come to the verses that will be our focus. So let us start with verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. The word of the Lord. As Jesus is teaching his disciples about the the nature of their relationship with him. He, he uses as an analogy, as a, as a comparison, the relationship that he enjoys with God the Father. The, the only appropriate comparison of the love that Jesus has for his disciples is the love that exists, the sublime love that exists between God the Father and God the Son. Did you see that in, in verse 9 and 10? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. There are two thrusts to this picture, to this paradigm that Jesus is putting out there, love and obedience. The, the love of the Father right, is, 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 is driving the relationship in the Trinity. And, and Jesus responds and experiences and enjoys and shares that love by obeying the commands of the Father. Likewise, the, the love of the Son is, is what is driving and creating the space and making possible the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. And, and the disciples experience and respond and enjoy that love by obeying the commands of the Son. So there's this real sense that, you know, God the Father says to the Son, I love you. And the Son says to the Father, yes, Father. That when, when Jesus obeyed, it was his yes, Father. When he came to earth, when he walked to the cross, it was an obedience out of love for the Father. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. And the Son so loved the Father that he went. And, and, and likewise, this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying, I love you. And the response of his disciples is, yes, Lord. Now, if you you know, we're like me, and, and if the disciples were like me, and you, 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 you hear these words, and, and as, as Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And engender a little bit of a, a response akin to, oh my goodness, Jesus, did you just say what I think you just said? If I obey your commands, I will remain in your love. You gave a lot of commands, You know, the the disciples might even be thinking about what Jesus just said about the Holy Spirit. That one of the reasons the advocate would come is to remind them of all the things Jesus has said. And, And the paradigm, the standard that Jesus puts forward to his disciples for this obedience is Jesus' own obedience to the Father. His perfect obedience to the Father. And the disciples might have someplace in their mind been thinking, well, sure, you're Jesus. You know, I'm not. You know, how can you meet that standard? Well, we have to be very careful here. 
We have to be very careful and, 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 and realizing what Jesus is, is saying and is doing. Jesus is not putting a threat before his disciples. These are the ones he loves. These are the ones he's chosen. These are the very ones he's just said will deny him but be restored. One of the, um, you know, the actions of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has said is coming is to convict us of our sin and drive us to be, repent so we have to be very careful. Jesus, I don't think, is laying forward a threat. I don't think he's saying, I love you, but one slip up and I stop loving you. But whether he's talking about the nature of their relationship, that one who is in Christ, one who is obedient to Christ, the response uh, that, that that love, that hallelujah love evokes is a posture of obedience, is a yes, Lord. Obedience is necessary and required, but it is possible and it is what occurs in the sphere of the love of Christ, that this is the nature of that relationship. In fact, one of the reasons I think this is is what he's doing is look at the shift that Jesus makes between verse 10 and then into verse 12. In verse 10, he says, if you obey my commands, plural, more than one, if you, if you obey my commands. And then in verse 12, he says, my command is this, singular. You see, there's been a shift. If you obey my commands, plural, to my command is this, singular. This movement, sort of from the, the several, the many, uh, to the one, is, is what you do when you're describing the nature of something. The, you know, the, the singular explains, exemplifies, um, you know, brings you know, to fulfillment the, the many. Doctors and medical professionals and nurses, they, they know this. They take an oath right, to do no harm. They, they don't take a hundred little mini oaths. Right? They don't say, I, I, I promise not to give too much Tylenol. They don't say, I promise not to give too much Sudafed. I promise not to operate on the wrong leg. I I promise not to put a nose where a toe goes and things like that, right? You know, they don't go through all the litany of possibilities. Do no harm, That summarizes, that encapsulates all of the possibilities. And so when Jesus is talking about the nature of things, when he is talking about how his love of the of the disciples is what drives and creates and makes possible this relationship and the response, the yes, Lord, of those who follow Jesus, he's saying that the yes, Lord, is yes, Lord, to love one another as I have loved you. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. That encapsulates, that summarizes all of the commands that Jesus has for his disciples. That is the yes, Lord, that we we give. So here's what I want to do for sort of the the remaining time. I want to look at two questions. The first question we'll spend most of of the time is, is what does Jesus mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, love each other as I have loved you? What does he mean by that? That will be the first question that we're going to look at. The second question is why? Why does Jesus want us 
to love each other as he loved us. So what does he mean when he says it? And why did he say it? Those are our two questions we're going to look at. So first, what does he mean by love? Now, there may be some of you who actually, when you heard Jesus say, this is my command, love each other as I have loved you, might have actually been a little bit relieved that Jesus did not say, like each other. You know, that it's a little bit easier sometimes to love each other than like each other. You know, but what does he mean? What did he mean when he says, love each other as I have loved you? Love's an interesting word. We use it all the time. I love my wife. I love J.R.R. Tolkien. Hopefully those aren't the same types of love, right? One is a love of, of commitment of my life, you know, to the woman I've married who mothers my children and is delight of my heart. The other is a dead English scholar who wrote books about elves, dwarves, and hobbits. Surely they're not the same type of love. They better not be. I love my country. I love the Red Sox. I hate the Red Sox. I love jalapeno poppers. We we use love in all kinds of different ways. So, So at most, what we can say about the term love is it indicates a strong bond, or at least a bond of some strength, between two agents. That's about all you can say. What actually defines the depth and the level of the strength of the term love are the agents involved. That is what defines it. I love my wife has a stronger sense of love than I love jalapeno poppers, right? Because of the agents that are involved. So when we're first considering what Jesus means when he says, love each other as I have loved you, we have to... Realize the, the two agents involved are Christ and his disciples. And, and the love is being compared to the love that is enjoyed between God the Father and God the Son. So whatever this love means, it has to be a grand love. It cannot be some sort of pedestrian love, some common love. It has to be a love appropriate heaven, a love that's a hallelujah love. And so as we're, we're looking at this, we, Jesus begins to explain this love. In the, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Greater love is no one in this that he laid down his life for his friends. Well, we've tightened our focus now with what Jesus means by this love. It's, it's clearly a sacrificial love, an altruistic love. You know, the, the love of one who will lay down their life for another. But I, I don't think, when we just take that phrase as itself, greater love has no one in this that he laid down his life for his friends if we just take that statement by itself, I don't think yet we're, we're, we're getting to sort of the unique love that Christ and, you know, the Father enjoy. Because that altruistic, that sacrificial love, we see that in the world, don't we? We see it in moms and dads 
who would lay down their lives for their children, who set apart their life for their kids. We see it in, in, in firefighters and rescue workers who, for, out, of, out of love for the people in their community, will charge into a burning building, putting their own life at risk. A soldier will go off to war out of love you know, for his nation, for people he don't even know other than the fact that there is a country bond, or maybe even will risk his life for another country, people that aren't even from his homeland, and pay the ultimate service and sacrifice. So this love is, is, is certainly a sacrificial love. We're tightening our focus here. The, the scope is, is getting clearer. But I don't think we're quite yet to the Christ love in that understanding by just saying it's sacrificial. What Jesus is drawing us to, what he is drawing the disciples to, is the term friends. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Well, the question, the natural question then are, is, who are the friends of Jesus? Who are the friends of God the Son? And he answers that with verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now we're getting closer to understanding what Christ is saying. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And then he says, and you are my friends. This is what he's saying to his disciples. The picture that Jesus is presenting is not some sort of simple, general, altruistic, greater cause love. It is a love that drives Jesus to lay down his life for those who will become his people. This is what we saw in John chapter 10 with the, the shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. When Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends, he's talking about that that. Love, that design, that reasoned God the Father to sin, God the Son, that fueled God the Son in obedience unto the cross. When he's talking about greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends, and his friends are those who have faith in Christ, those who Christ is laying his life down for. When, when he's talking about that love, he's talking about the love that only Christ can give. The love that is only possible from God. The love, you know, that gives, you know, hope to the hopeless. That, you know, heals the broken. That whispers life into the dead. That frees the slaves. When he's talking about a love that is only what Christ can give, he is talking about the love of God crucified. This is the love that Jesus is referencing. This is the hallelujah love. The love that sees God's great plan of salvation unfold. The advance of the good news of the cross. This is the love that he says we are to love each other with. 
this love does not come naturally to us. We are not genetically encoded with this love. We are not born with this love. We are not trained in this love. We are not raised in this love. We are not educated towards this love. The love that we have is a, is a pitiful, a, a mockery of this love. This is the love that exists only in the vine. That the branches, when we abide in it, fuels and comes through us. This is his love. So this is what he means by love. I think a second question is, who are the each others? He said, love each other as I have loved you. Well, who are we to have a sacrificial love towards? The, the, the type of love that, is, that we lay down our life so that the gospel might advance, so that God's salvation might go forth. Who are we, who are we to love that way? Well, I think one clear example is, he, remember, he's saying this to his disciples. He's saying to the group of men who, you know, are, are, are believing in him and who he has, you know, set apart, who will become the foundation of the church. He, is, he has said to them, love each other. You know, so one clear example of who we are to love are the brothers and sisters in Christ. When he says, love each other this way, he's talking about you and me loving each other this way. That, that my yes, Lord, my yes, Lord, to dwelling in his love is loving you. Loving you so that the gospel might deepen in your life. And it's you loving me. Your yes, Lord, is you loving me so that the gospel might deepen in my life. A few years ago, Kim and I had the opportunity to accompany uh, Jeremy and Jennifer Rennie on a, on a short-term mission trip to Macedonia. Um, we were excited. We had um, never done a mission trip like that. Uh, and we were looking forward to spending you know, a couple weeks with our friends. And there, um, and the, the, the plan was we were going to go to Macedonia. Jeremy was going to be leading the teaching, and I, and I would support as needed. And we had, you know, laid everything out. I'd taken very, very care to make sure, you know, all the I's were dotted and T's crossed. We knew who the host family was in Macedonia, you know, their contact information. I'd shared that with my parents. Kim had shared that with her parents. I had notified the American embassy to let them know I was going to be there because I read someplace you're supposed to do that. I'd called all the, you know, banks and credit card companies to let them know if they saw any expenses in Macedonia, that that was fine, you know, that wasn't, you know, wasn't being robbed. We're very excited. So we, we, we fly, uh, the four of us, to Macedonia. Um, our plane lands in Thessaloniki, Greece, uh, which was the nearest airport. Um, and, and so we're walking out. And, and, of course, naturally, Kim and I have uh, a, a bag that is lost. That seems to happen frequently when we do such trips. So Kim and I, we go over to deal with the, um, uh, the authorities that handle bags in the in Thessaloniki, Greece. And Jeremy and Jennifer, they move on to go to the host family who's waiting for us just to let them know what's going on and that we're here and that we landed. Well, Kim and I handle our, our uh, 
business there with the authorities. And, and we're walking out, and we see the Macedonian host family, and we see Jeremy and Jennifer. Very excited. We're walking towards them. And then I see Jeremy see me. And I see him start walking very deliberately towards me. He clearly wants to say something to me before we get to the host family. He steps up to me, and he says, plans have changed. Tomorrow, we are splitting up. You and Kim are going to Bulgaria. Good feelings gone. I, I immediately transition from happy missionary into panicked American on foreign soil. Yeah, because I am making every mistake you see on television when somebody goes missing. You know, they just go randomly change their planes and go to a place nobody knows they're there. That is what is about to happen. So I'm starting to immediately think, who do I need to notify? Somehow I need to find out where in Bulgaria, where is Bulgaria, what do, what, um, you know, what's the host family, what's their con? do I need to tell the embassy, do I need to tell the American military? You know, I'm trying to figure out who I need to notify because all I know about Bulgaria is what I learned growing up in the Cold War, right? All of the Eastern Bloc countries were cold. Everyone had big fur hats and a machine gun, right? And cheated, right? That's what, you know, they cheated at the Olympics. That's all I knew. And this is where I was going. We prayed about it, the four of us, and and decided to step forward and continue. The next morning, panicked American changed when I met the man who would, you know, be our host family, his name was Ivan. Ivan was great. To describe Ivan is very interesting. He looked like Barney Rubble. You know, he was just a block of a guy. Um, five foot one, so I towered over him. I never tower over anyone. <laughs> Loving this, right? And, but he, he had such kindness about him. He ran a church camp. I love it. He ran a church camp in, 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 during the summertime. In the mornings, he would teach them scripture. In the afternoons, he would teach them how to shoot small firearm guns. You have to love Yvonne. Like, he was his hardcore. And, and he brings us, we meet his lovely wife, Donnie. Um, and and they, they live in a small two-story apartment. They, they give to us the upstairs. Bedroom to ourselves, a bathroom to ourselves, his office, their whole family. And by their whole family, we're talking father, mother, children, grandparents. They all take the bottom floor. I got the impression that uh, Yvonne had almost as much notice as I did regarding this sort of setup. Um, so he's having to adjust his whole life. They don't have a lot of money, yet they're going to feed Kim and me for 10 days, roughly. And, you know, as I was, I was, I was thinking about this passage, I was, I was thinking about Yvonne and Donnie. Not because of the kindness they showed us, and they showed us amazing kindness. But, you know, what fueled them to set apart their lives this way wasn't simply kindness and love towards us. What drove them to set apart and and sacrifice their life this way was the deep love they had for the men and women and young people at a small church in Parvamai, Bulgaria, that the gospel might deepen in their lives. They were loving them with the love of Christ. 
They were setting apart their lives by showing us kindness, by welcoming us. They were setting apart their lives so that the gospel might advance in that small church in Bulgaria. This is what loving one another as he has loved us looks like. It's setting apart our lives so that the gospel might deepen among his people. Parents, this is why we we need to set apart our time and talk with our children. Read the scripture with them. Pray with them. Right? This is our yes, Lord, and our I love you to them that the gospel might deepen in their lives. This is why we, we come to church. This is why we set apart time to go to a Sunday school or to growth group. This is why we you know, commit our, our, our finances. This is why we, we, we serve in the church. Not, not out of duty or obligation or cultural pressure because that is our yes, Lord, to his command of love one another as I have loved you. We come so that we might encourage each other to deepen in the gospel. I think the each others, though, also include those whom Christ has died for, those who aren't his people that he, he desires to make his people it includes those who haven't heard the gospel, those who the Lord is drawing. It includes them as well. I think this is what fuels sharing the gospel, that our yes, Lord, is expressed, and I love those people that Christ is calling that have not yet come to faith. This is why we have the conversations that we have, why we sense the moments when the Holy Spirit says, this is a God moment happening right now. And we share the gospel because we love what Christ is doing in their lives. We, we, if you've been to the baptismal service, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We love it. Which brings me to the why. Why does Jesus want us to love one another? He, he wants us to know why. I mean, he tells us he wants us to know why. This is, this is the entire you know, discussion about friends here and servants. You know, in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you. This is the whole discussion on friends. This is what the difference is between friends and servants. Now, we think of friends as an absence of power relationship. That's how we tend to think of friends. That is not how Jesus is talking about friendship here. We think of no power, right? This is why, you know, when, when, I, when I teach, whether at the college or at the seminary, you know, I am not their friend. I hopefully am kind and loving and compassionate, but I teach them they're a student Friends don't grade friends, right? There's power. Parents are not the friends of their children. That relationship, there's a power relationship there. The power relationship with Jesus in terms of friends doesn't go away. Jesus is not saying we are now buddy-buddy. The friends are still to obey. The difference that Jesus is highlighting between a friend and a servant is knowledge. The servant doesn't know why. 
why the master says to do something. The friend does. The, the, uh, in the Old Testament, there are only two men who were said to be friends of God. Abraham and Moses. They were, they were said to be God's friends, friends of God. No one else. Yet here, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are my friends. You see, Moses and Abraham received a, a glimpse, a huge glimpse, but a glimpse of the revelation of God's plan, of how salvation would come to his people. Christ has shown us the plan. The plan is the gospel going out and deepening. We are his friends because we know the plan. He wants us to know the plan. Well, why does he want us to know it? I think the most striking verse in this entire passage is 11. This is the why. He tells us, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Why does he want us to love one another? So that we can experience his joy. The joy that he has in obeying the Father. The joy that he experiences in obeying the Father's great plan of salvation. Those of you who have shared the gospel with people and you've, you've uh, seen them come to Christ, oh, what do you feel? You feel joy. Those of you who have seen a broken marriage and, 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 and the, 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 the husband and the wife repent and reconcile, the gospel has recreated their marriage. What do you feel? You feel joy. You feel his joy. He wants his joy to overflow into us. This is why he wants us to love one another. Not simply because he wants us as some dumb instrument going out and doing his plan, but because he wants us going out and doing his plan because there is joy in this. When Jesus was feeling the nails to the cross and the thorns in his head, there was joy. When he wept in the garden, asking God if there was another way, there was joy. When he screamed on the cross, feeling forsaken, there was joy. There was joy in obeying the Father. I'll close with this. I was trying to think of an analogy. An analogy that would be the perfect picture of, of this love of God the Father. This love of God the Father that, that Jesus responds and enjoys by saying, yes, Father. And his yes, Father, is, you know, is the force of his love of us, the, 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 the love of us that he lays down his life on the cross you know, that he lays down his life so that we can say, yes, Lord. And in saying, yes, Lord, we can love each other. We can love each other with Christ's love so that others will, in that love, will receive the good news and will say, yes, Lord. And that they will love one another and so forth and so forth and so forth. This spread of the gospel. I was trying to think of an analogy that would work. perfect one is the one that Jesus gave. The Father is the gardener. Christ is the vine. 
and we are his branches. Let us pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the love that made those who were not your people into your people. Thank you for your love that rescues us from the wrath due to our sin and brings us, brings us into the joy of the plan of God. Thank you for your joy, Lord, that you are not selfish with your joy, but that you desire your joy to fill us. Lord, thank you. Help us, your church, to love each other as you love us. Help us to see those opportunities to love each other as you loved us. Help us to desire to be filled with your joy by walking obedient. Help us to say, yes, Lord. It is to your glory. In the name that is above every name, I pray, the name of Jesus. Amen.